Hey everybody, welcome back to the Huh Podcast. Uh, we're here, excited to uh, dive into a deep discussion on Daniel, the book of Daniel. Uh, we're here, we've got Micah, we've got Christian, we've got Garrett. Uh, we and the are, Holy Spirit. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit as always, so excited to uh, jump into conversation. We're continuing our series on um, stories or narratives from scripture that have been kind of relegated to the children's corner. And so we're looking into those and seeing what truths that we maybe have looked over uh, or that maybe we have oversimplified for children when there's some really deep theological topics to be discussed. So looking forward to uh, jumping into our discussion on Daniel. I think Daniel's the one children's story that you miss the most of the meat because of relegating it, like you said, to really just two stories within the book of Daniel. You either, if you think of Daniel, you either think of the furnace or you think of the lion. I was going to say, and honestly, one of those stories, some people don't even realize is in Daniel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the the, the fiery furnace, like some people are like, oh, I didn't even know it was in Daniel, because Daniel's not in the story, Mm -hmm. you know, so you don't. There's a lot of power in those, um, in, in those narratives of Daniel, but I think the meat of Daniel really comes in the second half of the book, and, and we can get into that in a little bit, but we, you just miss a lot of Daniel when you only focus on the narrative. And I guess going into that, one thing that we need to realize when reading Daniel is it's split up into two sections. The first six chapters of Daniel are all narrative. And so Daniel, actually, he spans the period of um, two different kingdoms. He's, he's At the start of Daniel, the Babylonian kingdom and King Nebuchadnezzar is the... Um, is the king. Mm. And at the end of Daniel, the Persian Empire is taken over, and King Darius is the, the king of um, the time. And in chapters, I think that's chapter six, uh, is the person that's in. And that's the king that's there whenever that Daniel throws the in the lion's den. Yeah. But at the start, it's Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and at the end, it's King Darius in Persia. So it's, it's a really long span of time that's going on within just these six chapters of Daniel, and then chapter 7 through 12 is all about the prophetic oracles that Daniel has as a prophet. And Daniel's probably, I think Daniel's one of my favorite um, prophet prophetic books. You know, you have all the, of the Old Testament, you have, what are the prophetic books? You have Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, yep. and, um, prophets, and then you have the yeah. minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. There's a good one in there. Uh, Micah. Micah. Micah's the goat. Micah, he he was the... Micah's the goat. No, Amos was the the first weekend. Micah was the... Was he the angry prophet? Amos was the angry prophet. No, Amos was the weekend prophet. He was the one that... Okay, but he was the one that... He he was angry because he had to travel up to the northern kingdom to prophesy because Jonah didn't do his job. Right, and... uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's the only thing I remember from uh, Minor Prophets class was Angry Amos. <laughs> <That's about it. laughs> but Daniel's really, there's a lot of prevalence within the book of Daniel to the New Testament. Um, I don't know, have you ever, you all know, what what has, what does Jesus refer to himself most as in the New Testament? Pop uh, quiz for you. son of man. Where does that come from? Daniel, right? Yeah, Daniel, <laughs> awesome. Daniel chapter 7. And um, there's a really powerful part, and we'll get to, I guess we'll get to that here in a little bit after we talk about the the parts of Daniel that are children's stories. But um, Daniel chapter 7 foreshadows the book of Revelation. That's really <laughs> cool. But yeah, I love Daniel. Daniel's a great book. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I don't, you know, we we were talking, we were all talking before this. I think think Daniel, I think it's a great book, but I haven't spent a lot of time in Daniel yeah. before. And honestly, I, I don't know. It gets thrown to the back lot. burner, except for what's in Veggie Tales. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so it, and it does. And Big Veggie Tales got here. <laughs> I, I'm actually in my devotions in the morning. I've been going through. I found this book that, for some reason, I had it in Old Testament class in school, and we never used the book one time. Uh, but it was a uh, it was the uh, it was a book on the prophets. Yeah. And I, I just don't know a whole lot about the prophets, so that's what I've been mm. doing. I'm almost finished with Isaiah. Uh, and then I'll go to Jeremiah. So it would probably be like maybe about two months, maybe at Christmas time going, I get to Daniel. Are you going to the prophet of lamentations after Jeremiah? No. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I've been that, I've actually been, I've not been using a book, Christian, but I've been going through them as well. I I think back at the start of COVID, I have like a a whole um, for my daily reading. I go through a um, a chart. And it just so happened that at the start of the COVID stuff, I had just started the major prophets. I, I had just started Isaiah. And so now I'm working my way and I'm into Ezekiel now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I did Daniel in the middle of all that. I kind of did it out of order because I did a sermon series on him. But uh, yeah, the prophetic books are really cool, especially whenever you you correlate them to the New Testament and you see just how many prophecies and the major prophets especially are yeah. fulfilled. Yeah, I've been saying that a lot in Isaiah. Shows you yeah. and then there's some that aren't fulfilled yet and that tells you, you know, here's the prophetic oracles that are fulfilled. Now you can have faith and trust in the ones that haven't yeah. yet been fulfilled. So that, that's yeah. what's been most confusing for me is I think just throughout the years growing up growing up and you know reading in the prophets or or people mentioning the prophets I think what's been hard is that when I read them sometimes, all right, I know that they're to a specific people at a specific time, but if I don't have like a commentary with me, mm. uh, it's hard for me, and it might be for anybody, it's just hard to pick out like, what is a prophetic word for the time of Jesus? Yeah. Or what is a prophetic word that hasn't been fulfilled yet? And it's it's difficult too, and you see this especially in the book of Revelation. Um, coincidentally, I'm doing a uh, my sermon series right now is on Revelation, but just like in interpreting Revelation, any prophetic book, there's generally four ways to interpret it. There's what is known as the historicist view, the preterist view, the futurist view, and the idealist view. And the and this is especially pertains to rev- books like apocalyptic re- literature, like Revelation, but also any pro- prophetic book. The historicist view is the view that the oracles within any prophetic book are revealed over time, and some of them have yet to be revealed, some of them are already revealed in time, and then eventually they'll all be revealed. The preterist view is that the generally the oracles and the prophecies that are written in the book are written after they've already been fulfilled. So like for, if you, a preterist would look at Revelation as things that John is writing about that have already taken place. Like, for example, he's writing about, he's using imagery to write about, um, in Revelation, to write about Domitian, the emperor of that time, the way he persecuted the Jews. And you'd see that in in Daniel and other prophetic books. The futurist view is that none of the prophetic oracles have been revealed yet, that they've all not been answered. And the idealist only focuses on the imagery and the purpose of using that imagery to give a major... um, supernatural theme like Mm. for example you would see the imagery of the son of man to denote that god is in control that he is the king not necessarily to see of when the son of man's coming Um, it's not necessarily a a prophetic event it's a prophetic 
theme. Um, so there, those are the four ways that you interpret prophetic oracles or apocalyptic literature. Um, I generally focus on um, the historicist and idealist view of prophetic oracles for the most part. I'm not huge on the preterist views. Um, the preterist views are gener- generally generally critical views, people that don't subscribe to supernatural abilities um, yeah. that, that are given by God. So, yeah, there's your... Um, there's your, <laughs> there's your theology, literary, literary for background for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I feel like I just drank out of a fire hydrant. Hey, all right, now, um, now, Micah, he is actually going over Daniel with his yeah, youth with a, group what, right now. Did you teach him that? Huh? Did you go over that with no. him? No. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, no. I don't think Garrett knows how to spell so preterist. So <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> what? I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> Would you say I don't know what? Preterist. I don't even know what that. I don't even know how to. I can't even begin to spell it. I'm guessing there's a P and an R in there. That's P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. all I know. P R E T E R I S T. Yeah. I, I don't think that's that's not a word. I don't think. So so when you started with the youth group, where where do you start with? Are you starting with? Well, I've got there's. I'm just working with a small group of people that we're walking through. We just we got a book on. As I call it, amazing Amazon, because uh, it's amazing. Um, yes. And so we're just walking through that, and it gives you some uh, overarching biblical themes. You know, it gives you it gives you some connections to the rest of Scripture. We just started in Daniel one, uh, and just you know walk through Daniel. I, I was gonna say, I think a, a you know you're saying I think Daniel's overlooked uh, as well as prophets. I think a big piece of that is because of where it falls in Scripture. It falls in the Old Testament. I think a lot of times we overlook the Old Testament as a whole. Uh, especially as a New Testament church, we tend to just go straight to the New Testament. Uh, I think, I think because one Jesus is there, so I mean it's obviously yeah. important. But I think we Old Testament is a little you have to take an extra step or two to apply it. Uh, New Testament is a lot more obviously practical. Um, James, you know Acts, Romans, you know those books are. It's almost like here's how to live it. I mean that's kind of what their purpose is. The Old Testament gives us so much information, as well as the New Testament, about who God is. And I think it's, I've been reminding uh, some of the people I'm doing the study with that we always look to Scripture, and I know a common uh, idea is that we need to learn what we, like, what, what can we apply to our lives from Scripture? And that's true. A big piece of what we need to do is when we look at Scripture is what does this teach us about God? What does this show us about who God is? Um, um, and I'm trying to think of a saying that I heard it yesterday. I'm trying to think of how to say it. If I can think of it, I'll say it. But life's like a box of chocolates. Yeah, I never know what you're gonna get. Um, <laughs> but it was basically I don't. It was I don't read I don't read the Bible to to as a guideline. I read the Bible to learn about the one who guides me. It was something yeah, along yeah. that lines. And it was I don't read the Bible as the Bible is not my guide. The Bible teaches me about my God. That's yeah. that was basically what it was saying. So saying. The Bible is not what what I you know my parameters. The Bible teaches me about the God who says, "Here's what you know." Yeah. Uh, and so I always try to remind, in my opinion, the first thing we look at when we read Scripture is what is this teaching us about God? When I'm reading something, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about who He is? And then I can say, okay, now what do I do with that? Yeah. Because now I know who who God is. I've I've learned a piece of of my Creator. So what do I do with that now? Yeah. What do I do with that information? How do I apply it to my life? How do I carry that out in my everyday life? How do I show, as Paul says, that I'm alive with Christ through His Word? And so I think we need to be careful not to overlook the Old Testament. I think um, yeah, sure. I think we often do that, and we 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 recall to the events Daniel in the lion's den, fiery furnace, and we just immediately like, what can we learn? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. There's my brains for the day. That's <laughs> all I go. got. We look at them and go, oh, well, they have this strong faith. I need to have a strong faith. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. But that's you're just like taking that story out of, you know, you have no, like, you may not even know who the king was or you probably know what the king was because it's just so unique. <laughs> but, but my point is we need to be careful that we're not just pulling bits and pieces of the Old Testament and just saying, like, Abraham had strong faith. He was ready to kill his son. I need to have strong faith and be willing to kill my son. If God, you know, like yeah. we can't just pull bits and pieces. <laughs> we have to be careful of that, and we need to read the Old Testament as well. We need to study that as well because that shows us a lot about who God is, um, be, and honestly, how people reacted before they knew who Jesus was. Yeah. So that's my two I think cents about thing, the Old Testament. The thing about the New Testament is it it reveals God more deeply in terms that humans can understand. Exactly. Exactly. But the Old Testament reveals God in a more powerful way if that yeah. makes sense I, yeah. I mean not saying that the incarnation isn't powerful it's the most obviously the most powerful act in history but i guess the, the what i'm saying is the old testament reveals god more deeply the new testament reveals god more intimately yeah um so if we want to more mm. deeply understand the intricacies of of god you dive into the prophetic books especially because that's where you see a lot of these themes of who God is. Yeah. And Daniel especially, you see three different themes. You see the theme of God's sovereignty, meaning that even in mm-hmm. the most powerful empires in the world, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian am- Empire, these two emperors and kings that were just in control of basically the entire known world at that time, you see that God subjugates them to him, even though they don't fully even realize it. Nebuchadnezzar does in chapter 5 whenever he's like... Looks become, to heaven. Look, yeah. yeah, and he kind of starts Dude, eating that's like a cow. That I mean, was that's, a cool... That, <laughs> yeah. that was that was one of my... That's one of my favorite parts of Daniel. He, he, so he gets... He gets... He has, basically, a year before it happens, he has a dream, and Daniel is his dream interpreter because all his other magicians aren't very good at it because they're, they're fake. So yeah. <laughs> they're, And so he Daniel's like... Nebuchadnezzar kind of like, uh, uh, with some arrogance, is like, I had this dream of this massive tree, and the way Nebuchadnezzar is seeing it is that it's an enemy. It's this big mm-hmm. enemy, and he's going to topple it. And Daniel's like, well, that's not really what that dream's <laughs> about. And he's kind of like, the tree is you, King Nebi. Uh, he's like, that tree is you. And, and basically, uh, the description of it, you know, he just turns into a beast and eats grass. And so a year later, <laughs> he wakes up, this is the scripture talked about in, in that chapter. Uh, is it four? Four, uh, yeah. Chapter four. Chapter four, I said five, um, it's four. He goes like on the roof of his palace, and he's like, look at what I have created. Look at how mighty yeah. my kingdom is. And then it says, <laughs> scripture says, while the words are still on his lips, he basically just goes... in the coolest in, thing. Oh, yeah, right. I love it. He's like, he goes insane, is driven out of the kingdom, and goes <laughs> and eats grass and with I the think- rest of the beasts, and grows really long hair, and grows like claws. <laughs> yeah. And, and just goes crazy, and, like he goes insane. And we yeah. miss the the actual power of God in this because we kind of minimize Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. I mean, this guy is the president of the United States times 100. I yeah. mean, he's the emperor. He is in he's, control of the largest army in history, the largest empire in history up until this point. He's the richest person in the world. I mean... Everything, but when he goes out and stands on the balcony of his kingdom, he literally everything he sees is his. And yeah. so he, I mean, that is amazing. Yeah. Well, he's not saying anything false there. No, he's not. But he's 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 met God at this yeah. point. Yeah. This is the third dream, third, second, or third. Well, this is his third, not dream. This is his second dream, but third um, 
experience with God. Yeah. He's got the first dream that Daniel interprets. Then he's got the fiery furnace um, where they come out unscathed. And then he's got this dream that Daniel says, this is you. What what I find really interesting is, is Scripture in uh, verse 28, 29, excuse me, says 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof. So it, it indicates a time frame. Um, scripture doesn't, it doesn't often say like two weeks later. It says then sometime later. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not real specific. This is one of the, you know, I, mean, there's pro- I know there's a few more in Scripture, but this well, is one I of the, the not the, many, the, the very specific dates. Because it would have given context. It would have been showing, you know, if you say sometimes later or after a little while, you're not giving verifiable context. Right. But by doing this, by saying 12 months later, after giving a date of this, you know, scholars could sit down and say, oh, wait, we have record of King Nebuchadnezzar actually going crazy. Yeah. Like, this isn't yeah. a fabricated event. This right. is actual stuff that happened. But I think yeah. from that this this part, you what God is... What I think, what God is showing us, is His abounding grace, hmm. right? That Daniel or that Nebuchadnezzar had a full year, that basically a window of opportunity where God was giving him chances to either repent, giving him chances to realize what is His. And a year later, we don't really know what happens within that year. Maybe he, for eleven months and twenty nine days, was thankful for God, but then just one day he woke up and. But based on his cycle of pride that yeah. you see in Daniel, it's more likely that like a couple days later he became prideful. But God gives him a year and, you know, gives him so many chances and he gives us the same. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, it's kind of a at the peak of his pride that God's like, all right, it's time, sends his messenger and he goes crazy. So, but I think from this, you know, you know I ask that question to myself, what does this teach me about God? Well, this part teaches me his abounding grace, mm-hmm. uh, his abounding mercy. That the punishment—I mean, he could have punished Nebuchadnezzar that day that he interpreted the dream because he was deserving of it then. But a whole year went by, and so you know that leads me to believe that God was giving him so many opportunities. We don't know what happens in that year. Maybe Daniel was going to him and saying, "Hey, remember that dream?" Or you know, maybe there was no contact about that at all. But um, I think obviously, opportunities for grace and mercy. We also have to think about the way that God was able to use such a pagan and fully contrary, contradictory kingdom to his glory. I mean, mean, Babylon is the image of evil in scripture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you look at Revelation, it says the, the beast and, and the dragon that's in Revelation that represents evil, they talk about having a new Babylon. I mean, Babylon represents, like you said, this kingdom of, of evil, this kingdom of opposition, this the, the kingdom of but, antithesis but, but to they God. didn't slap each other with fish. No. <laughs> I'm telling you, Nineveh, those dudes were on another level. Anyway, continue, sir. Well, I was just, you, you know, and yet, even though that's what Babylon is, and that's what the Jewish people would have seen Babylon as, God still uses them. I mean, God or uses Daniel to make Nebuchadnezzar realize that he is nothing to um, this God. And and then eventually, at the end of this time of Nebuchadnezzar being a beast, at the end of him kind of, you know, after he is humbled by it, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of this pagan society that was the antithesis of God and Israel, he says... 
Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And so the most powerful person in the world, this person that really is the antithesis of God's kingdom, comes out and says... (laughs) Man, I'm nothing to this dude. I am nothing to the Most High God. You know, I might have this other pantheon of gods that I worship, but he is sovereign. He's in control of it all. And, and so that's just an amazing, um, an amazing trans- transition. It flips everything upside down, and, and it's a, a reversal. It's an amazing reversal of, of, of everything. Yeah. Let's, let's look at... Um when Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar meet now, now just background on, on Daniel in the first chapter, we're looking at, uh, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, as Garrett has mentioned, he, he was the king of uh, the almighty Babylon at the time, what seemed like to be almighty, that they had all this power and they just, uh, they took over so many kingdoms. And, and as we look uh, in Daniel chapter one, verse three, we say, it says, then the, com- the king commanded, this is after they had uh, besieged Israel. Uh, and besieged Jerusalem. It says this, Then the king commanded his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel who were both from a royal family of nobility. They were youths without blemish. They had good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, competent in the king's palace so that they could teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So Daniel, he was from from royalty where uh, he's from. He was a wise man. He 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 was smart. He was he was handsome. He didn't have any blemishes. He 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 had it. He's had almost everything going for him. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he, he's brought into the house uh, or brought into the palace of this Babylonian king. He's brought into their empire so that why mm-hmm. so he can learn their language. Uh, also, we know he's brought in with three other dudes that are mentioned later: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ballers, um, ballers. Shad, Rad, and Benny. <laughs> yeah, you know. Shaq, Rack, and Benny. You remember that from VeggieTales? Yes, I do now that you say that. <laughs> oh, Benny. <laughs> the great ones. But yeah, we see, so, so we see Daniel, he was, uh, he was a Jew, but he was brought over because he was wise. He, he was brought over because he was, uh, he was already educated. He had uh, a royal family, and they wanted, basically, the Babylonians, they're looking just to build their empire yeah. uh, even stronger than it is by training uh, them. Well, that's the thing. That was the difference between the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire. The Babylonian Empire didn't force people to assimilate into them. Mm-hmm. They kind of took the differences of people and utilized it to to build up their empire. And so by not forcing you to get rid of your own identity, you are more willing to subjugate yourself to Babylon. Um the Assyrians forced you to to assimilate, and so you lost your identity and were more willing to eventually rebel because yeah. you makes kind it of easier it. For yeah yeah so um but that's part of you know that's part of why since judah was t- count, c- conquered by babylon you never lost the descendancy of judah that's why we're able to know that jesus descended from judah but the other 10 tribes when they were conquered by the assyrian empire you lost all the lineage because they were forced to assimilate into yeah. assyria mm. um a little, another little that is a good piece of background. Fact. Yeah. Uh, so, so Daniel, he is also, um, he is a man that doesn't back down, uh, and and we see this uh, even as early as chapter one. It, it talks about Daniel. 
when they even though he was taken into the palace, he wouldn't eat of the king's food. Mm. And basically comes which would have been an extreme insult. Oh exactly. yeah, oh, slap in the face, insult. And and not only that, but I mean, this is like good food. premier food. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's talking primary. He's asparagus, baked potato, I'm loaded. About some primary. Uh, yeah, but it's also a testament to his faith oh, because gosh, the yeah. reason he didn't eat was because he refused to eat food that was pagan in nature. You know, this was food that was kind of used for pagan cultic purposes. Um, and he refused to profane his faith in doing so. So it was a statement of faith that he didn't eat this food, a, a statement of conviction, yeah. and not he, just like yeah. a, a refusal to eat it because and it's king. And it seemed kings. to be like the certain meats that they were using, whether it was, uh, yeah. you know, the por- it, maybe mm-hmm. it was pork. I, I don't know what it was. You know, Jews have it's never— cooked in different ways, uh, too. Yeah, yeah. Cooked in different ways. That could have for sure had a— um, a role in the story, but we see that Daniel he ends up just eating vegetables and just drinking water. It's where we get the Daniel fast, uh, for those of yeah. you who have done the Daniel fast. Uh, and then we see, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar begins to have dreams. And, and so, The <laughs> Daniel fast, it's funny to me, I mean, that we use the Daniel fast now as a way to to just lose weight. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. there was so much more than that before. Yeah. It was like a, a way to prove faith. Not just a way to, you know, it's a way to, there's weight. a way for them to show holiness to set yeah. themselves apart. From. Yeah. And it wasn't, they didn't gain strength because the food gave them strength. You know, they were, the, the point of it was Daniel said, I will eat nothing but vegetables and water all this time, and I'll come out stronger or of the same health of all these people that, all these other advisors that are eating all the king's food. And he, he was saying that not because he thought the vegetables would make him stronger, but because he knew that his God would intercede and would show himself to be more powerful than the gods of these other advisors. And so for us to take this and say, well, it was because Daniel ate this food that made him stronger, we're kind of missing the point. The point here is that faithfulness to God, which is another theme of the book of Daniel, faithfulness to God in the face of adversity <clears throat> is... Um, something that he desires out of us. Um, and when he does, when we do show that, he's there alongside of us, you know, with his sovereignty. That's why God's sovereignty and the faithfulness to God go hand in hand in the book of Daniel. Yeah. And I think, have we, have we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego no, I don't think on this so, podcast? No. I don't think we ever did that one. I, I think that's like one of my favorite stories. Yeah, that's a pretty cool story. Uh, have you ever seen the, uh, you know, when the History Channel came out with the Bible yeah. um, thing? They no, did I haven't a, seen that It was a really part. cool episode That'd when they did awesome. Shadrach and Benny. I'll yeah. YouTube it. Yeah, um, because the the thing about the furnace is it wasn't the furnace that we think of now. This you know furnaces we think of now are this big metal ball yeah. that you you close up and put you know you keep the oxygen. Furnaces then were basically built into the side of a cliff, and you would just feed it and feed it and feed it with fire or with wood, fuel to make the fire bigger and bigger, and there's constantly oxygen going into it, so that flame can get really, really, really hot. And, you know, they were just constantly feeding that way above the capacity that it was supposed to do, to the point that, what was it, 10 people that were feeding that fire of the furnace died just standing next to it? Yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, people, it's so yeah. hot that they couldn't even the people that throw threw them in. Yeah, the, the people that threw them in died. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's... A, there's <laughs> Daniel's filled with all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. I think let, let's fast forward to this, this is kind of where we we've been wanting to 
to get to for this podcast. And I think listeners, we, we love this story. I mean, this is go-to story uh, in Sunday school. You know, if you forgot your lesson and, and you can't come up with the one, <laughs> I mean, Daniel and the Lions Den is, I mean, it's just an awesome story. We should do a Bible story bracket. Okay. Oh, like what oh, is? Oh yeah, favorite. Uh, we'll Bible do that in March Madness. March Madness Bible Story bracket. And we'll start on Instagram, and we'll do. All right. So keep going about Daniel. Oh yeah. So, so this Daniel, is producing <laughs> on air. Let us know what March. you let us know what you think about that. That'd be good. Let us know if you'd be in, in, uh, and don't get too spiritual about it. Just pick what's your favorite story. Yeah, yeah. Like we're just gonna have fun yeah. with it. Obviously, <laughs> all of them are equally important. You know, we're just gonna yeah. have fun with it. And, yeah. No. Yeah. So Daniel and the Lions. Then how do we get there? You know, so we've had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, God God is with them in the furnace. And Daniel was friends with these guys. Yeah. Uh, these guys went through the training together. They they went through, uh, they were being taught the, the language of the Babylonians together. They were all brought up from that group from Jerusalem together. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure, I can't remember where it's at. Uh, later on, they're given leadership positions. Yeah. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego become the rulers of the province of Babylon, okay. which is a really high honor in that kingdom. Daniel was given that honor actually when he first interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream and he said, now give it to those guys. I don't know. Daniel's purpose may have been to stay closer to the king and he yeah. kind of stayed in the palace. But but yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it was in, I believe it's in the end of either chapter one or two. Um, so this is before they get thrown in? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when they get thrown in the furnace, they are the leaders of province of wow. Babylon like yeah, they're just, the, they would for, and so, so they, they get thrown in as leaders yeah um and so oh Radshad and Benny yes yeah. yeah yeah they they were they had gained notoriety Daniel was a governor and these guys were really prominent advisors yeah um yeah it but, was at the end of chapter two is when but they then become... chapter six with Daniel and the lion's den is a different kingdom Right. This is the Persian Medo Persian yes. kingdom. So so what brings us here? So, so for our for our listeners, what, what brings us from all right, we have King Nebuchadnezzar with the <laughs> The writing on the wall in chapter five. That's what brings us here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, which Let's was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's they, son. They yeah, Bel Belshazzar. Daniel's uh Babylonian name he was given was Belteshazzar. Right. This king's name is Belshazzar. There's which, no t in there. Which um, means Bel protect the king. Right. Um so it's a yeah kind of a, a it, it's a plea to the pagan gods to protect the king, the divine kingship as Nebuchadnezzar dies and someone else takes the throne. And so his entire purpose was to protect the, right. the lineage, right. which didn't so, happen. So the, the overview of chapter 5, and I'm not, not so we just fast forward through it. There, you know, read it, check it out. But the overview of that is King Belshazzar is throwing this banquet, right? They're praising all these gods and they're you know, living life as Babylonians did when they didn't worship uh, the one true God. Yeah, and so, and yeah, so they're just, they're just living life, right? They're banqueting, they're, you know, doing illegal things. And um, all of a sudden in verse, uh, chapter five, verse five, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. So then they're like, "What does this mean, right?" So it's it's they're like, "What does this even mean?" And so that it Which basically one would be creepy. Yes, it basically got, yes, extremely. <laughs> Imagine just creepy. a hand writing on the wall. So, um, they it it works through you know, and eventually they find this guy named Daniel, 
And so the way it's indicated is Belshazzar does not know Daniel. Um, that Which he, is likely because Daniel, after uh, whenever one king dies and another king the takes royal the court reign, would the royal reset, court yeah. completely flips and yeah. they get rid of all the old. Yeah, and so Daniel's kind of just a dude there now. He's not. No one really knows who he is. There's there's some, and so basically, um, uh, the queen finds him and says, "Look, there's a guy in the kingdom. He used to work for your father. He was known as one of the wisest men we have. He interpreted your father's dreams." She goes and finds him. Daniel comes um, to Belshazzar and. And, which, by the way, we said Daniel kind of never backed down. Uh, Belshazzar is basically saying, if you can read this writing, I'm in 16, verse 16, if you can read this writing, you're going to be clothed in purple, which is a mark of royalty. Have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest rule in the kingdom. Daniel says, you can keep your gifts to yourself and give your rewards to someone else, but I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. <laughs> I love it. It's so Daniel. He's I don't like, need your crap. I don't want, I don't want your <laughs> stupid necklace. I'll just tell you what it means. Uh, leave me alone. I want to go back to praying. That's probably yeah. what Daniel was thinking. Um, so... You know, fast forward, there's some conversation between him and Belshazzar. Verse, verses 25 through 28, we see what the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Garrett, correct me on the words. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And this is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have, bon- you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And then the last one um, is your kingdom is divided and given to the Mede, uh, Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, he was clothed in purple, which Daniel probably didn't like. And then in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So there's your transition. Writing on the wall, Daniel interprets it. And then that night, Belshazzar is killed. So basically, and Medes, Persians take over. Yeah. yeah so that it was that night. It was Babylonians. And then in one night, Persians just boom. Immediately. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. I didn't either until I just read it just now. All right, so now we got this King Darius. <laughs> yeah, King Darius. And Darius is king of the Persians. Yep. Uh, and as king of the Persians. The Medo-Persians. Um, what happens after this? You mean after the Daniel and the lion's den? No, no, no. no. Like, what, what happens? What happens? Like, all right, so Darius is king, <clears throat> and then what's happening? Oh, look, so that's... I think this is one of the biggest testaments of of faith in all of Scripture because somewhere along the line, um, my my guess is so so it's likely that Darius wasn't actually the king of the entire Persian Medo Medo Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. He was probably just a precinct king. It was okay. probably divided into likely three different rulers with one being the ultimate ruler over the entire empire and each one of the other three kind of taking us a, a particular province. And so Darius was probably in control of what used to be Babylon. And instead of just coming in and putting his own people there, he took the people that knew the area, 120 satraps, 120 satraps and, and just kind of, you know, ha- asked them to help him out as he started. And he gan- began to really trust Daniel. Uh, he, he began to really trust Daniel's advice and trust what he was saying. Um, and all these other people, all these other advisors, you know, Daniel was the only one probably that was a monotheistic Yahweh worshiper. And the other ones probably were pagan um, and probably worshiped pantheons of gods, had no problem worshiping kings, and they were jealous of Daniel. And so they said, uh, hey, Darius, in order to solidify your kingship, which was something that was common whenever there was a turnover of of kingdoms, whenever one kingdom conquered another within a pagan society, it was pretty normal 
to make all of your subjects begin to worship you as kind mm-hmm. of a show of um, subjugation, as to just prove that you're loyal to this yeah. new emperor or new king. And so they said, you know, wor- make them worship you. Make them come down, bow down to you. Don't let them, for 30 days, don't let them worship anyone else. Yep. And Darius probably, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. That's a good way to make sure everyone's turning over to me and not staying the course of Babylon. And and so they did that. And <laughs> my favorite part is is Daniel, um, is um, verse 13, um, or not verse verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that this decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I, it wasn't like he hype. didn't know that yeah. it was happening. Daniel's like, I ain't about that life, King. Well, it's like, I just part, don't care. Yeah, my favorite part about that is that he could have left the window closed. Yeah, but yeah. He, I mean, on purpose, open yeah, those to windows. See the, to see the holy city, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and I think even it, showing he's unashamed, he's not hiding in his house. Yeah. He's not hiding yeah. his prayer life. You know? and, and again, that goes back to the theme of faithfulness and God's sovereignty, yeah. that, that he wasn't going to let this persecution, this chaos, this just kind of event that unfolds <laughs> dictate his worship. Me, hey, hey uh, me and my buddies use this word, uh, don't check up. I don't know if you've ever used that before. I think we just no, made I'm that. No, I'm not. I'm not cool uh, enough. <laughs> checking up is when you start a basketball game, right? Yes, check but it up. we check always it up. say you don't check up. So if you check up, it means like, all right, let's say you're at the, let's say we were at the lake with my buddies and we're jumping off this big rock. If you didn't jump off that rock, you checked up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, how you how you pull up? Yeah, basically. <laughs> no. <That's> a, <laughs> so yeah. So don't check up. A lot of times, so we would use this phrase, "Don't check up." Like like. I mean, no reservations, like, quit. Uh, Basically, I think, don't I think the cool a, kids call that send it. Send it. Full, Full send. send. So that'd be close to it. Kind of, it kind of I'm be so opposite. unhip. <laughs> Garrett's like, so, what? It's because you became a senior minister. We, me and my buddies made this up. There might be like five of us that know this, so it's not cool. Uh, but we had this phrase, don't check up, and I believe Daniel did not check up. I, he was full He send. never checked up. You know, he was always full sin. So one of the cool things about this passage right here, <laughs> I and I imagine this, it doesn't say this, but... You can assume, because it's Daniel. Then these men went as a group, found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and ratted him out. And I can imagine <laughs> Daniel sitting there praying, right? They metaphorically kicked the door in. They probably just like knocked and opened it. But they and they walk in, and I can just see Daniel on his knees praying and just look at him and be like, sup, and then just go right back to praying. Like that's how I imagine Daniel, like I don't like not worried at all about it because he's like, he might not I'm even worshiping my God. Like, yeah, he may not have <laughs> even looked have up. Just... He may have just been like, can you guys leave? Like, you know, like I'm praying here, you know? So I'll, I'll like come that with passage. You when I'm done. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'll just go jump in lines to myself if that's what you guys want. Like, mm. you know, I just love his, you know, like he said, he doesn't check up. I don't know what that means, but yeah, I think that's what it. But it's just such a powerful, it's just such a powerful um, example of what it means to not let your faith waver just because things around you, the circumstances around you are getting difficult. Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if this... And I think that's why the writer is so emphatic about saying that when Daniel learned the decree had been published. So it wasn't that he didn't know and just kept doing the thing he always yeah. did. He knew that things were changing, and being in the king's royal circle, he would have known the punishment was to be right. get fed to a bunch of hungry lions. And he, I think this is crazy, too. Then it's, it's only 30 days. Yeah, right? yeah so, so 30 it, days Daniel could have, praying. you know, some of I think I would have been like, 
I'll just uh, close my window for yeah. a month, <laughs> and <Yeah>. then <laughs> on yeah. the first Truly. of the next month, I'll open it again. And start ah, praying. I can pray in public again. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a lot of our response. But, but Daniel, he's like, I don't. Ca- not I will never alter. let I, my faith waver at all for one single moment. That's how important God was. I to actually me. use this in a devotional. We do devotional videos every Wednesday, and I use this passage in the devotional for this past Wednesday because I think when I read this, what I see is that it would have been more unnatural for Daniel not to pray than for him for it would have been more unnatural for Daniel to not to pray because of adversity than for him to pray even though there is adversity and that's a testament to what it means to have faith that you don't care what the circumstances are around you it feels weird for you to give up even if the circumstances dictate that you should, that you should lose faith, that you should lose heart, that you should, you know, kind of figure something else out, it's yeah. it feels wrong for you to do that. that That's when it the shows. Whole, that would defeat yeah. the whole purpose of Daniel's faith. Like if an, if a moment of adversity came and he didn't follow through with it, then there was no point of it in the first place. Yeah, and and obviously we know how it turns out. You know, Daniel. Yeah. you know he's yeah. saved the, by they God. rat him out. He, dude, they spoiler alert, Maybe bro. Let know. us get like, there. Let us yeah. get there, bro. Come Tell on, the story. go outside. Just get it. <laughs> so Daniel gets ratted out to the king, and the king's response actually in uh, um, let's see, verse sixteen. Um, I lied. Let me back up. 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel, made every effort until sundown to save him. So clearly there is a connection there with the king. So Daniel's in with the king. So makes the order. He throws Daniel in the lion's den. They bring a stone out. Uh, by the way, foreshadowing to Jesus. They bring a stone out. They place it over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The king returned to his palace, spent the night, without eating and without entertaining entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So then it says at first dawn, he goes out and he hollers to David, he's, or Daniel, excuse me, not David. And he hollers to Daniel, he's like, uh, Daniel, um, are you good, bro? <laughs> Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lion? And Daniel's response is, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. So here's what I imagine. He was petting the lions. <laughs> I imagine he picked one Good and just rode the lion through the night. And at night, when they got tired, they all just like lay down and slept together, and he used them like a pillow. That's how I imagine it. Now, the other alternative is the lions were going crazy because they couldn't open their mouths. And so, like, they were just like, but the lions could also kill with their paws, too, right? Sure. So, I don't know. Food for thought. I don't know that we know what really happened other than God. I bet they just came God very, prevented them from killing Daniel. I bet they just came very docile. They just. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. Know, I think maybe it's just like cats. Maybe he yeah. just, they like Big played with them. And yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, so he clearly was saved. And then ultimately, the king, it says at the king's command in verse 24, the men that falsely accused him and all their families were thrown in the lion's den. Uh, and. Before their bodies hit the ground, they were eaten by the lions and their bones were crushed, it says. And Darius makes basically the, the kingdom, and he says, everyone will only worship God. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate. And ultimately, the king, King Darius didn't want Daniel to die. No, he loved Darius. He, that was his right-hand, yeah, right-hand were, man. I mean, he really had a respect. I said had Darius. A, yeah, he, he loved Daniel. Yeah, Sorry. he had a respect for Daniel. He might have loved and, himself, too. I don't know. Uh, I love, and you had read it in... Um, in verse 16, 
Darius, like when it's happening, I can just imagine, you know, he's kind of distraught. Yeah. Maybe, you know, teary-eyed, he says, may your God whom you serve yeah. continually deliver you. Yeah. And I think he probably had heard the story. And I think you see the buddies. softening of Darius's heart there, yep. too. Uh, and, and I think you see, I'll, he didn't want him, of course, that was the ruling guest, but I think the other state traps and stuff kind of tricked him into Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, There's definitely some. Uh, and of course, if he wouldn't have went through with conniving. it, the people would have. Revolted. Uproar you, revolted. Made a, you made a law and you didn't follow through exactly. But ultimately, he didn't want Daniel to die, and I think that just shows the character uh, of, of Daniel, and it shows the character of you know what it's like for someone to be uh, with God. Uh, you know, he, he he prayed three times a day, and, and I think you're able to see that that he was able to impact lives um, through his yeah, through his faith. Definitely. So so it says the lions crush the bones. So that made all of us think, how strong are lions? How strong are lions? So we looked up some some facts about lions. Um, and something that stuck out to me, lions don't need to drink every day, but they do need to eat. Female lions eat about 11 pounds of meat each day. Wow. Males eat 16 pounds or more every day. Can you, I mean, I can't even I'm sure, fathom. I'm sure Daniel weighed a whopping like... 170 oh yeah i mean that would have been like one of their meal well i mean it'd probably been i mean because i mean it's not all meat but they would have they would have everything but the bone was meat to them (laughs) another crazy thing about lions and which is funny is it's it lions are relatively weak per other big cats but they have 650 pounds of square inch of pressure in their bite can you imagine and that's weak (laughs) That's weak. How much? Like, I, I don't know. What are pounds some per other... square inch? A bear is 975. Yeah, the, and oh. if you keep reading, it'll go down to Micah. His is alligator snap. <laughs> an alligator snapping turtle is 1,000. Yeah. That so, makes sense. also, just to give you an idea of how much they eat, uh, a male lion can grow up to about 10 feet in length. I guess that would mean if you stretched, like, they stretch their paws out. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Or, like, as opposed to head to tail, maybe. I don't know. 10 foot's a lot. And they weigh up to 550 pounds, and female lions can grow to a length of nine feet and weigh 395 pounds. So they can can, run 50 miles an hour. Yes, they run 50 (laughs) miles an hour. That's insane. Um, Which is why they're the kings. Yeah, kings of the jungle, except they don't really live in the jungle. They're the kings of the Kings of the safari. Yeah, kings of the safari. But um, I think. it, but it's also cool. He said the 650 pounds per square inch, but that's more than the average lion weighs. Like their bite <laughs> is more than they weigh, which is insane. I mean, it's crazy. The dudes are strong. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up yeah. um, this, I, I think we need to we need to just spend a little time reading the um, the part that comes after the narrative section of Daniel, and I just want to wrap up with that. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for the narrative section of Daniel. For the, you know, there's a really cool narratives. You have, you know, his fast. You have the uh, fiery furnace, the writing on the wall, um, Nebuchadnezzar eating grass like a cow. Um, you yeah, know. I mean, Daniel almost dies like six times in the first yeah, six chapters. Li- lions, and there's there's so much in those first six chapters of narrative. But there's so much power. Um, prophetic power in the last six chapters. And I just want to read this excerpt from um, chapter 7. And in this chapter, this is it says this is the first year of the king Belshazzar of Babylon. So this was um, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and this was before you know, the per- Medo-Persian Empire had taken over, and Daniel has this vision from God. And I want to read this these verses here, and I want you to tell me if you can 
uh, get what it sounds like. It says, um, as I kept watching, watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's a reference to, to Yahweh. It says, his clothing was white like snow, and his hair on his head was the whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing from, from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then, because the sound of the arrogant words of the horn were speaking. And as I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that, the, that, so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Can you, uh, especially that last part there about the Son of Man, can you, does that sound familiar at all to you? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It just sounds like the book of Revelation to me. Uh-huh, yeah. You know? So so the horn and, and all that stuff about the judgment and the fire, yeah. that's really straight from the end of Revelation with the beast and dragons. Yeah. But listen to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Look, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. That's... I mean, a direct, if you read Revelation 1, 7, and then look back at Daniel chapter 7, it's the, the same exact thing. The only difference is Revelation confirms that the Son of Man that Daniel is referencing here and before 600 years before Jesus yeah. is born, or 400 years before Jesus is born, Revelation confirms that the Son of Man is Jesus. And that his commit his kingdom and his dominion is everlasting, and you know, the whole point of the book of Daniel is to be a, a proof, an example of God's ultimate sovereignty. And there's no greater example than what Daniel says in chapter seven, where the Son of Man is going to have dominion, and he's going to have a kingdom, and he's going to have control over all of the principalities and all the darkness and all the evil that has consumed this world, and it's going to be until the end of the age. Um, and so we find hope in Daniel, and we find reference, direct reverence, reference to Christ in Daniel. So I think that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing what you can see in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't count it out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if lions have a bite of 650 pounds per square inch, what is, does God have, like, what would God's bite be? Infinity pounds <laughs> for infinity per square infinity, inch. Yeah. How, how come, infinity to you know, you infinity talk about like the right arm of God. How come they never talk about God's bite? How come that's not ever what compared? <laughs> he breathed and spoke out mm. existence. That's true. I guess that counts for something. I would like to know what it looked like when he wrote on the wall. Yeah, that'd be like, a what lit. did he see when, so, when he saw he, when he said he saw a hand? Like, what is it, Mickey Mouse or whatever? When there's a hand in it, it's just like a floating hand. It's like the glove, Mickey is Mouse it, Clubhouse. Yeah. Is it, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just like a glove right and it there. just floats around. Like, I think about it in Smash Bros. When you uh, oh, like when you pick your uh, oh <laughs> yeah, Super you know, Smash like Brothers. it's in the story yeah. mode and it's that hand. It's got lasers coming out of it. Yeah, or uh, or 
Um, what's the Adams family? Is there a hand in that that just walks around like there's just a hand? Oh, is that Adams wa- family? I'm, maybe I've never watched Adams family. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully I'm right. That'll be awkward. I didn't get any confirmation <laughs> yeah. from these guys. Or never yeah, that's all I got. Either. Yeah, that would be that. That would be crazy. Can you imagine? Like it would have been like a rip roaring party. Like people would be just like flipping tables and like just you know banquet style. It and then just s- it just went silent and everyone's like. Is there something Dude, writing that, on the that wall? That passage there, the authentic, the authenticity of that passage, because that's something that would have been recorded within Belshazzar's, like, um, w- within his uh, royal, you know, they, they write down all right. of the, the stuff that happens, the, the courts, the scribes write that down. That would have been recorded. So that's kind of... Is that, you know, that, that speaks to Moses and the Ten Commandments. Everyone's like, well, how did God hand this down to him? Well, maybe... Moses saw the same hand that Belshazzar saw. That yeah. It's inscribed you, it right there. Is that where the phrase, like, the writing on the wall came from, I guess? I think so. Because, like, that, the writing, when you say, like, ah, the writing's on the wall, that means, like, it's inevitable. And yeah. so, like, in the story, the writing on the wall happened, and that night he died. So I wonder if that's where it comes from. I've actually never heard that phrase. You never heard that really? phrase? No. When someone's, like, you know, like, I'll, like, oh, like really I don't know how to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sweet. Sixth grade Garrett. Isabella <laughs> takes videos of me all the time of like me doing stuff, and, and yeah. every video my voice is like high as a kite. Yeah, well, I can look over here on the the mic and see all of ours really high. So, um, but yeah, you yeah that phrase is um, yeah, that that could have like been our right. huh? It's like writing on the wall. Yeah, like when you say like something. If you're saying like ah, it's gonna happen. Like ah, writing's on the wall. Like hmm. when UK plays Tennessee, like Tennessee's gonna win. Writing's on the wall because they do every year because UK's UK for some reason. Football. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Good. Yeah, basketball recently <laughs> too has not been good. Uh, I don't want them to win, but I'm just saying it's inevitable. Or Florida, the 31 years. True. You could say every year, uh, writing's on the wall. Florida's gonna win. But it's broken. You've never heard that phrase? Huh? Never. All right. Well, since you haven't heard it, why don't you pray for us? I'll do that. <laughs> I've heard of some other phrases, but we'll talk about those next time. Are those appropriate on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Let's pray. What is this? Was this episode 22? I think so. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Crazy. Can I pray now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. okay. Writing's on the wall. We love you, God, and we just thank you for this time, God, and we thank you for uh, the book of Daniel, and uh, we just we just pray that God, you would give us, uh, you would give us great faith, God, the great faith that Daniel showed that that, that we would, uh, God, that we would not check up, God, that we would be just full sin at all times, God, for you, uh, and that we do all things for your glory uh, at all times, no matter what it takes. Uh, and no matter what adversity is in front of us, Lord. So we love you so much, uh, and we just pray for all those who are listening. Uh, God, that you would just bless their days, God. God, be with them uh, during this time, whether they're traveling uh, or maybe even at home. God, we just thank you for uh, those who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.